Hello, romance book lovers. Welcome or welcome back to Tales from the Heart. I am Jenna Hart, and each week I post new episodes from my stories of crime and passion. Right now, we're listening to Deadly Valentine, book one of the Valentine Mysteries. This week is episode 14, chapters 32 and 33, where things begin to heat up in this mystery. Now, if you're eager to follow along or you want to get a bit ahead, you can download the entire ebook for free at my website, jennahart.com. Never miss the mystery of romance by hitting the subscribe button. And remember that all the details and links you might need are just a click away in the description. Now snuggle up, get comfy, and enjoy the show. Chapter 32. Tess busied herself with notes from the meeting with Sarah and Agnes. She wanted desperately to call Jack and share the news, but even if she hadn't cruelly shoved him out of her life, she was legally bound to keep Sarah's information to herself. Tess? Regina peeked her head in the door. Yes. Regina entered the office but remained standing in front of Tess's desk. I wanted to know if I could take tomorrow afternoon off. If I stay an extra hour tonight, I'll be able to finish up everything that needs to get done. You have something planned? Tomorrow is Valentine's Day. Dwayne has a surprise for me and I want to have a surprise for him. Tess supposed the word Valentine would always be painful. Worse still was that it was associated with love and romance. Yes, that's fine. But before you go tonight, can you pull together Mr. Valentine's files? I've entered his billing on the computer. Can you prepare a refund for the part that hasn't been used? Regina nodded but didn't say anything. Neither did she move to get back to work. Is there something else? Do you love your job? Tess tilted her head as her brows grew together. It's all right. But do you love it? Like when you were little, did you dream about being a lawyer? Tess couldn't remember dreaming about anything except getting out of her parents' home. I didn't decide to be a lawyer until I was in college. Why? Why did I decide on law? Regina nodded. I don't know. I suppose because my dad is a lawyer. And Tom. She added, preferring to believe she chose the legal profession because of Tom, and not as an attempt to win her father's approval. Why do you ask? I'm just wondering if it's worth it. Are you thinking of going to law school? Tess was pleased that Regina believed she could achieve big goals, despite the many challenges she'd faced in her past. No, I mean, is it worth it to you? Regina plopped down in the chair in front of the desk. Your work has made your friends mad, and then you had to break up with Mr. Valentine, and I wonder if it's worth it. Tess hoped it was worth it. Otherwise, why was she working so hard to salvage it? You think I should quit my career to be with Mr. Valentine? Regina shrugged. You seemed happier when he was around. We can't always have everything we think we want. All I know is that we've got one go around in this life. Sure, there may be a heaven and all that, but in this body, this time, it's just what we've got now. And I don't think we should waste it on things that make us miserable. You think I'm miserable? God, was it that obvious? I know you are. What about my commitment to you, to the few clients we have left? Tess asked, more intrigued than bothered by Regina's inquiries. I told you that I have other options. And, well, it's not like you're the only lawyer in town. True. Lawyers were a dime a dozen in Jefferson Tavern. That was why the loss of clientele was so disastrous. What about all the work I've done to build what I have? You think I should do something to jeopardize that? If it hurts you, then yes. I'd give up any job that separated me from those that I love. Except you have children. It's a little different. Tess said. I have Dwayne, too. You'd quit this job for him. You've only known him a few months. Tess began to worry that Regina was once again getting involved too quickly with a man. Tess had met Dwayne only once, and he seemed nice. 
but Tess knew firsthand that it was difficult to really know a man. If you turned on me and I had to choose, I might choose him. Her job had done that, Tess acknowledged. It created a wedge between her and the showalters and led her to end things with Jack. Do you like your job? Regina smiled. I love that I have a cool boss, two kids that are awesome, and a boyfriend who respects me. Then that's worth fighting for. Regina frowned. There are many things about my job and this situation that I'm unhappy with, I'll admit that. But sacrificing my work to be with Jack, I can't do that. Eventually he may be gone anyway, and then where would I be? At least you'd have some fun in the meantime. Regina said nearly sulking. Tess smiled. I guess there's that. Regina sighed in resignation and let Tess to her work. Tess sat alone in her office. Although she'd successfully deflected Regina's attempts to change her mind about Jack, the truth was the conversation had her reflecting over her choice. Legal work was tedious and boring, especially business law. Divorce clients were irritating, and the process was heartbreaking. The only work she could remember enjoying recently was the research for Jack and the sparring with the police during interviews. She'd been doing all she could do to keep the business open, but if she were honest with herself, she had to acknowledge that her heart wasn't in it. In fact, if she didn't have Regina to consider, Tess thought she might chuck it all, take her trust money she swore she'd never touch and go live in Aruba. The comment that stuck most in Tess's mind was that Regina would choose love over her job, particularly if the job turned against her. It made sense to see it that way. So why had it made more sense to try and salvage her clients and her relationship with the showalters who had turned on her when Jack had never asked her to change? He didn't like Daniel, and yet not once did he ask her to stop being Daniel's friend. The revelation made Tess feel worse than she already did. What kind of horrible woman had she become? She turned on the one person who had never abandoned her. She thought she'd cried all her tears over the weekend, but she felt them threaten again. She couldn't decide which was more difficult to bear her own pain or the thought of the pain she inflicted on him. I think you broke him. Brad's words repeated in her mind. I think I may have broken myself. She whispered. She realized she didn't like the woman she'd become. A week earlier, she was happy in her neatly ordered life. Everyone kept at a safe distance. Her work was boring, but safe. But now she knew she hadn't been happy. She'd been complacent. She talked herself into thinking that she'd created the life she wanted. But then Jack showed up and everything changed. It was like she'd been living in a fog and hadn't realized it. With him the fog had cleared, and she felt and experienced more. It was frightening and thrilling, and most of all it was what she needed. The prospect of a safe life now terrified her. To end up as Jack predicted, old and alone was unimaginable, and yet exactly the course her life was taking. She hadn't always been like that, she thought. At one time, she'd been adventurous, impulsive, and willing to take a risk. And with Jack, she'd seen glimpses of her former self. As if a light from heaven were shining down on her, Tess felt with such clarity that she'd been wrong. Jack didn't upset her orderly life, but saved her from it. She found a tissue in her drawer and wiped the tears that had escaped. Then, grabbing her purse, she left her office. Are the files ready? She asked Regina. I'm just cutting the check. She said. I put his stuff in the file box there. Tess added her materials to the plastic crate. She took the check from Regina, signed it, and added it to the crate, closing the lid. I'm heading out for the rest of the day. Send emergencies to my cell, otherwise take messages. Regina's eyes narrowed as they studied Tess. A slow grin spread. Tell Mr. Valentine I said hi.
Tess knew that Jack was a reasonable man, but she also realized just how badly she'd treated him. She deserved to have him throw her out of his office, so she needed to prepare to come up with a plan to win him over. It was sexist, she knew, but if she stood a chance, she needed to approach him with all the tools at her disposal. She headed home to change so she didn't look like a lawyer. She dragged out an old pair of jeans she hadn't worn in years. It seemed like it took forever to get them on. She had to lie on the bed and suck in her stomach to get them buttoned. She found the red stilettos and squeezed her feet into them. It was a look she'd seen in the bars of D.C. years ago. She hoped it wasn't out of style now. She found a knit sweater that she usually didn't wear because she felt self-conscious about the tight fit in the chest. She took the pins from her hair, shaking her head. She wasn't so much going for sexy as changed. Jack had once told her she always looked like a lawyer. She hoped showing up like this would be an outward sign of her inner change. God, she hoped it worked. She then went to her freezer and pulled out a storage container full of her chocolate caramel decadent squares. If the new look didn't work, maybe chocolate would. She put several into a smaller container. Then remembering Mrs. Standish, she found a second container and added more, hoping his gatekeeper could be bribed. Armed but not very dangerous, Tess headed to her car to make the trip to Washington, D.C. You can't see him, Mrs. Standish said in a way that sounded more like a mother protecting her young than a secretary. Do you like chocolate, Mrs. Standish? Tess asked. Who doesn't? Tess handed her a container of her chocolate squares. You think bribing me with chocolate will change my mind? Try it. Tess tried to hide the fear and uncertainty, but wasn't sure she was pulling it off. With narrow, suspicious eyes, Mrs. Standish opened the box. Lifting a dark square, she took a bite. As was always the case with this particular confection, there was no way to hide the surprise and delight. Mrs. Standish looked up at Tess. Did you make these? Yes, I can give you the recipe. It's very easy. Mrs. Standish stood, picked up the box. I'm going to put these in the refrigerator in the staff room, so I'll be away from my desk. Tess's heart leapt at her first victory. I never saw you. No, of course not. Tess waited until Mrs. Standish walked away and then went to Jack's door. She took a deep breath. She felt like her entire life rode on this moment. Would he be happy to see her? Would he forgive her? Would he throw her out? She knocked and opened the door when she heard him say, Come in. He sat at his desk. His eyes registered surprise first and then cool indifference. She nearly turned and ran but somehow propelled herself through the door. During the two-hour drive she'd rehearsed what she wanted to say, but as she stood under his piercing dark stare, all the words were lost. Did you bring the files? His voice was as cold as his eyes. She nodded. They're in the car. He watched her, his face growing increasing annoyed as she simply stood and stared. She was like the proverbial deer with her eyes caught in the headlights. She didn't know where to go or what to do to avoid the collision. I'm very busy, Miss Madison. She felt his words, the coldness of them, like a stab in the heart. I wanted to talk to you for a minute. I don't have time right now. I'm sorry. She blurted out. You were right about everything. I was a coward. Everyone I thought was important are idiots. He sat back in his chair. So you weren't able to salvage your reputation or your business and now you're back? No, that's not it. I know I hurt you. Hurt you deeply and I'm so, so sorry, Jack. What do you want, Tess? She ignored the terseness of his voice and instead focused on the fact that he called her by her first name. I want you. Something crossed his face and for a moment she thought he was going to forgive her. But then it went cold again. 
You think a simple sorry because you can't save your business will fix things? Her hackles rose. I'm not sorry I can't save my business, which in fact I could if I wanted to, but I don't want to. Not if it means losing you. I'm lost to you already, Tess, so you might as well go back to Jefferson Tavern and chase ambulances or whatever you need to do. She was surprised by his comment. He wasn't just angry. He wanted to hurt her. And she took it because she knew she deserved it. I love you. Why hadn't she led with that? It was the one thing he wanted to hear from her at one time. Again, she thought she saw change in his eyes that she wanted to grab onto, but he wouldn't let himself be swayed by her. He quickly put his mask back in place. The door behind her flew open again. Jack, I got that. Oh, hey, Tess. Brad said as he walked into the office. His head bobbled back and forth as he assessed what he'd walked into. I'm interrupting. No, Tess brought the files. Can you escort her down and get them from her car? It was a dismissal. Not only that, but he was having her thrown out by the man who'd also once thrown her out of town. The pain of it nearly brought her to her knees. She knew she'd hurt him but wouldn't have expected such cruelty. Not from him. Brad looked to Tess, his eyes asking her to try harder. She nearly laughed. She was fighting for her life in Brad's office. She couldn't decide what to say. She'd said she was sorry. She said she loved him. What else could she say? All she had left was the chocolate. Perhaps it would detract from the fool she'd made of herself through her clothes. She reached into her purse and pulled out the container. It's not Scharfenberger, but I think you'll like it. Would he remember how he used chocolate to smooth things over with her? His infraction wasn't as bad as hers, but surely she deserved another chance. I was afraid. I thought I wanted what I'd built for myself. But you changed that. I didn't realize it until it was too late. Now I see how I lost myself because of fear. I don't want that anymore. I want a chance to show you that I can be the person I was three years ago when you first loved me. Three years ago? Brad asked with surprise. Did you... Shut up, Brad. Tess snapped. She turned back to Jack. I didn't tell you I loved you the other night, not because I didn't feel it, but because I was overwhelmed by it. Oh well there, Jack. Come on, forgive her, kiss and make up, and let me make you rich. Brad said. Shut up, Brad. Jack came around his desk, leaving the container of chocolate where she'd set it. I'm not giving up. Tess said as she watched him put his coat on. I can be persistent too. Although the tight jeans and shirt with kick-ass shoes didn't seem to be very persuasive at the moment. Why would I allow myself to risk this again? He said to her. I now see the appeal of your safe world. Is it dead then? She was very near losing it. Her chest compressed from the pain and the desperate need to beg. Is it possible to kill love in an instant? He was standing so close, towering over her. His features turned to pain. If only it were. He gave her one last look and then walked out of the office. Tess sank into the nearest chair. She felt shaky, as if she'd just come through a traumatic situation, except the trauma continued on and on. She heard Brad move but was thankful he didn't say anything. A moment later he was in front of her with a bottle of water. I've got stronger stuff if you need it. She took the water but didn't drink. I guess I should get those files. He leaned against the desk, crossing his ankles as they stretched out. We can wait a few minutes. If he comes back and I'm here, he'll be angry. I don't think so. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if he came back to make sure you are still here. Tess looked up at him, unable to follow his meaning. The reason he rushed out was because he was precariously close to forgiving you. That doesn't make sense. Brad laughed. He's not ready to forgive you. Or he wants you to feel his pain. I don't know because I'm too shallow to understand these things. But I do know a man's got pride. And I also know that eventually he'll be back. 
I don't think so. His exit seemed final. It seemed that way because he's hurt. He's hurt because he still loves you. If he didn't care, he would have been indifferent to you. She supposed that could be true, but it didn't change the fact that Jack had said he wasn't going to risk his heart. She stood. I'll get the files. Brad escorted her to the elevator. I admire you. He said as the elevator doors closed. Tess remained quiet. People like you and me who have been rejected all our lives, we don't usually set ourselves up to be crapped on. Yet there you were in Jack's office doing just that. She cast a glance his way. This time I deserved it. Yeah, you did. A little anyway. But he'll come around. I didn't know he could be like that. You should have seen him when his mom died. The reminder of her abandoning him when he lost his mother only served to make her feel even less deserving of Jack. But he's naturally an optimist and likes to live life full force. He'll lick his wounds, and then he'll be back. Tess wasn't going to hold her breath. What did you mean about three years ago? Brad asked. I didn't cheat on you, if that's what you're asking. But I was right about Jack having a thing for you back then. That's what he said. They continued down the elevator in silence for a few floors. We got along pretty well for a while, don't you think? He finally asked, making eye contact with her through the reflection of the elevator doors. We had some fun times. She nodded. We had a few. When we got engaged, we agreed that it was because we had lots of fun together, which already put us ahead of our parents. Yes. He shrugged. So maybe we could still try it. A try what? Tess hoped she was misunderstanding him. Marriage. She gaped at him. Brad, you don't like women, and I thought you weren't going to hide who you are. Imagine us together, though. We'd have fun. We could start our own law practice, and we'd both be on the same page when it came to the idea that true love doesn't exist. It's a nice offer, Brad, but I'll pass. Probably just as well. Jack would kick my ass. Do you think you could not tell him about this part of our conversation? If she ever had the chance to speak to Jack again, Tess was sure she wouldn't mention Brad's crazy proposal. Besides, she was sure he didn't mean it. She hoped he didn't anyway. Chapter 33 Tess walked through her front door longing to feel the comfort of home. But as she stood in the entryway there was no sense of comfort. It was Jack's fault, of course. A week ago everything about her home and life was just as she'd wanted. There was no clutter, no sentimental reminders of a life left behind, and as she discovered, no life either. Jack had been right about that. Her neatly constructed life was ordered and satisfactory, but lacking warmth and vitality. She wouldn't have noticed had he not come back into her life. Now she saw her home as he had that first day, stark and lifeless. He'd been right, but she'd been too late in acknowledging it and now she was alone, and aware that her life was an empty shell. Before he'd shown up, she'd been alone, but hadn't felt lonely. Now she felt as alone as she imagined anyone could feel. Not that she didn't have people to call on, but unlike her, they had real lives. Regina had her children. Helen, Tom, and Daniel had each other. Even Kate had another group of gal pals. Not that she'd given up on Jack. She told him she could be as tenacious as he was. She could work on him just as he'd worked on her. He'd loved her once. She would hold on to that. Brad had to be right that Jack's level of hurt and his need to hurt her back was a reflection of how deep his feelings were for her. And maybe he was right about one more thing. Maybe Jack would change his mind, have a change of heart, and give her another chance. In the meantime, though, she was home feeling cold and lonely. Perhaps she should get a real pet. She'd heard they did wonders for people who were alone a lot. She scanned the room for Buster's bowl 
and then remembered that she'd lent him to her neighbor's son for his pet show-and-tell at school. She truly was alone. Not wanting to wallow, she considered going to bed. When her phone rang, she jumped, but was grateful for the distraction. She told herself it wouldn't be Jack, even if deep down she hoped it was. Hey, Tess. Kate said on the other end of the line. I'm sorry I didn't call back sooner. It took Tess a moment to remember why Kate would be calling her back. The article. Listen, I didn't know anything about that piece of crap being published. If I did, I would have warned you. You know that, right? Tess nodded and then realized Kate couldn't see her. Yes, I was just curious why someone would be following us that closely. Are you kidding me? On most days, the big story around here is about a proposed road change. Now we've got murder, the most eligible bachelor in the world, and a romance. That stuff sells. It's not news. Tess sank to her couch. No. Unfortunately, news is becoming too much like entertainment instead of information. So is your Valentine angry too? I'd love to see him take on that sniveling muckraker B.J. Brown. No. Would you know if someone told B.J. where we were, or is he just a news stalker? He's definitely a stalker, but I hunted him down after I got your message. He gave me that I can't reveal my sources line, but by the time I was done with him, he told me it was Shelby Worthington who called him. She said you were on a date with the guy suspected of killing your boyfriend's uncle. Real soap opera sounding stuff, huh? Shelby. Tess wondered when Shelby would have called him. And why? Tess thought back to the conversation they had in the bathroom at Tolliver's. Yes. Why would she want to set you up like that? I'm not sure. Tess said. I think maybe she didn't like my insinuating her husband was covering up for her. Really? Kate's voice pitched up in intrigue. I can't go into details without compromising my... Yeah, I know. Kate mumbled. Attorney-client privilege. But you could try asking the police about it. I could. So I still get a story when this is done, right? Tess hadn't wanted to go into details about her relationship with Jack. It was still too raw to talk about without losing control and falling into a hysterical, weeping mess. On the other hand, she needed a friend. There is no story. Not anymore. Tess explained about her breakup with Jack and how he dismissed her when she tried to make amends. He did that. Kate sounded shocked and offended, just like a good friend should even though it was her own fault. I can't blame him. I hurt him. Do you want me to come over? No, I'm going to bed. Are you sure? I could bring a boatload of Ben and Jerry's New York Superfudge chunk. I'm sure. Thank you, though. Well, then maybe you'd want to come to my annual singles Valentine party tomorrow. We're having it at Tolliver's. Since you're single again, it might be fun to commiserate with your single sisters. Unless you're back with Daniel. I was never with Daniel, Tess said by rote. I'll think about tomorrow. Tess was certain she wouldn't be up to a party, especially a female pity party. She wondered if she'd even be able to get out of bed in the morning. All right, call me if you need anything. Call any time. Tess heard genuine concern from her friend. I will. Thank you, Kate. Tess didn't feel as alone after the call but still couldn't manage any more effort than it took to go to bed. She checked her back door and started turning out the lights when there was a knock on her front door. He heart-jumped to her throat. Brad had been right. He came back. She swung the door open, ready to jump into Jack's arms. Daniel. Can I come in? She shoved the disappointment aside, replacing it with hurt and anger. Is it personal or professional? He sighed. Personal. Are you going to call me names? No. He shook his head as if he were as weary about the state of things as she was. She pulled open the door so he could enter. She didn't want him to stay long or get too cozy, 
so she didn't offer him a drink. Things have gone too far, he said after she shut the door. I don't like what this has done to us. Would you be here now if I hadn't ended things with Jack? She didn't hide the accusation in her tone. He stiffened. I doubt he'd let me near you. That's where you're wrong. He flinched at her outburst. During all this, he never once asked me to stay away from you. Not once. He didn't like you, but he knew you were important to me. She was pleased at the look of guilt that crossed his face. I'm sorry, Tess. What if I told you I went to see him today, begged him to forgive me? Would you still be sorry? Yes. He said on an exasperated breath. I'm not sorry for how I feel about him. I still have concerns. What I'm sorry about is what has happened between us. Tess wasn't sure she could believe him. It was easy now to say all the right things when the situation was more to his liking. She wondered if he'd heard about Sarah's visit and what he'd think about her involvement in that. I can't spend my life picking and choosing my clients or my relationships based on what you want. I know that. Can't you give me a break? I didn't mean the things I said to you. You said them to your mother. I know, I know. He ran a hand through his hair. It was wrong. Daniel, I know Jack didn't kill Asa. Why are you unable to consider that someone else did? He bit his lip as if he were holding back a comment he knew she wouldn't like. Now that he's dead, everyone seems to forget how disagreeable and mean Asa was. Or that there were many people who didn't like him, including you. She added. His brows lifted. Now you're accusing me of killing him. No, but you and many others had as much motive and opportunity to kill him as Jack did. Except that I didn't steal his computer or fight with him. No, your dad stole his computer, and yes, you did fight with him. I don't know what about, but when you two were together, your dislike of him was noticeable. Daniel's jaw tensed, but he didn't deny that Tom took the computer, which meant the computer found at the fire was proven to be Ace's, or there was a very strong suspicion. He and I disagreed over some things, but I didn't hate him or want him dead. What things? His eyes narrowed to slits. I thought you weren't working for Valentine anymore. I'm not. I'm curious. Her adrenaline kicked in, bolstering her bravado and her need to find out what was going on. He felt police work was beneath me. I was a Worthington through my mother, and I should want to support the family. He thought Mom was a foolish, silly woman for walking away from the family, and that it would be better for everyone if I came to work for him. He wanted you instead of Philip in the company. He gave a curt nod. I didn't mind his comments about me, but I didn't like his attitude towards my mom. When did you two have this talk? Daniel sighed, resigning himself to having the conversation. He leaned against the back of Tess's couch. The first time was when I went to college, and then on fairly regular intervals since then. In the last few months, even more so. That made sense. Asa knew he was dying and wanted someone more capable than Philip to run things. Still, it's not something I'd kill him over. No, it wasn't. My point is that if you really look at the situation, Jack had less motive than anyone except maybe me to kill Asa. There's no benefit for him. This was a crime of opportunity and passion. And Valentine was mad. He was annoyed. I've seen him mad. She remembered the anger and rage when she'd broken up with him. But he didn't kill then. We're not going to agree on this, Tess. So maybe we should just go back to the old agreement. We agree to disagree. Okay. But what if I decided to represent someone else on the opposite side of the family? She said, thinking of her visit with Sarah that afternoon. His brows grew together in question. What are you talking about? Are you going to work with Jack again? No. What if there was someone else? Who? Tess realized that Daniel didn't know about Sarah, which meant Detective Johnson had not only withheld the information from Daniel, but for some reason made it so Daniel wouldn't find out. Why? 
Tess shrugged. It's just a hypothetical. Look, I'm here to apologize and to see if can rebuild our friendship. I can't predict the future. She knew it would be wrong not to give him a second chance. After all, wasn't that what she was asking from Jack? But her initial reaction was to let Daniel's friendship go, just as Jack had let her go. Because she wanted a second chance, she knew she needed to give one. We can work on it. His body relaxed in relief. Thank you. Can you arrange for me to see Tom? He stiffened slightly, making Tess believe that Helen didn't share his sentiments about her. I'll see what I can do. Tess couldn't ever remember feeling more mentally worn out than she did once Daniel left. She closed up the house, turning off the lights, and headed for bed, hoping that sleep would give her a respite from her grief. But she didn't find peace in sleep either. The scenes were vivid in their imagery and scent. She could smell the fire crackling in the fireplace, a fire built for two. But the fire grew, expanded and morphed into an inferno, swallowing up her home. She could feel the heat of it sizzling on her skin, the smoke burning her lungs. There was a woman, so young and innocent, holding a baby. The fire blazed around the helpless woman. The baby floated away from her. She reached for him, or maybe she was releasing him, it wasn't clear. As he moved from the crying woman, the baby morphed into a man. Jack. The woman's arms extended to him, reaching, reaching. She looked so familiar, like looking in a mirror. Tess realized it was her, and Jack was standing right there. All she needed to do was reach out, but she couldn't move. He drifted further and further away until there was nothing. She wanted to cry out, but she couldn't breathe. Tess jolted up. Her body shook and felt damp from perspiration. She inhaled deeply, hoping it would settle her senses, except she still couldn't breathe. The air stung her nose and burned her lungs, causing her to cough and gasp. What was happening? She looked towards the sliding glass door. Normally, with a bright moon, she could see her backyard, but it was gone in a haze. A haze of smoke. Oh, God. Even as she realized there was no fresh air, her body involuntarily attempted to take in the oxygen it needed. She coughed again. Trying to stay calm, she rolled out of bed and onto the floor. Her mind raced to remember the public service announcements she'd seen as a kid about what to do in a fire. She peeked up over the bed looking to the bedroom door. It was a wall of fire. How could that be? She had hardwood floors. There was no carpet or rug. How could it burn like that? A flame leapt from the door towards her bed. Realizing she was running out of time, she crawled towards the sliding door. The glass felt cool despite the heat from the fire. She unhinged the lock and pulled, but the door didn't move. She pulled again, and again the fear moving to panic at each failed attempt to open the door. She flipped the lock again, thinking maybe she'd accidentally locked it the first time. She pulled again. The door didn't budge. She sagged to the floor. Had the smoke lessened her strength? She scanned her room, hoping to find another means of escape. Nothing. She willed herself to keep thinking as the smoke dulled her mind and her senses. What could she do? Break the window. She scanned her room again, looking for something she could use to break the double-paned windows. Dresser. Beside table. Lamp. Treadmill. Nothing looked solid enough that she believed she could lift. I'm gonna die alone, just like Jack said. She slumped against the door. How could it be that she was less than an inch away from fresh, cool air and not able to reach it? Air. Air everywhere and not a drop to breathe. She heard a creaking and a bang outside her bedroom door. 
She shook her head of her doomsday thinking. I'm not dead yet. Scanning the room again, her eyes landed on the treadmill. It had originally been near the sliding door, but she'd moved it earlier by tilting it on its wheels. Maybe she could wheel it with enough force to break the door. There's only one way to find out. She crawled over to the machine. She knew she had to stand to move it, but decided that air quality along the floor was no longer any better than in the middle of the room, so it wouldn't matter. She gripped the rail and gave a hard pull, maneuvering it onto the wheels. She set her sights on the glass door as she pushed the treadmill towards it. She felt like she was working as hard as she ever had, and yet she wasn't moving as quickly as she wanted. The treadmill finally hit the glass. She heard the sound of it cracking, but it didn't break. Oh, come on. She yanked the treadmill back and pushed again. This time the glass broke. Cold, clean air flowed into the room. Just as quickly she heard a whoosh and felt heat behind her. She turned to see her bed go up in flames. She realized that her attempt to escape had also fueled the fire. She ducked under the rail of the treadmill. Using her entire body, she pushed against the running mat, forcing it down and through the door. The jagged glass looked nearly as dangerous as the fire, but Tess knew her chances were better with the glass. She climbed on the running mat, crawling along it through the hole of broken window. The treadmill gave under her as her weight caused it to crush more glass underneath it. The platform dropped. Tess lost her balance. As she felt herself roll, she lunged, wanting to land outside instead of in her fiery room. She felt the tear of flesh as she rolled through the window. She landed hard, tiny knives of pain piercing her back. She lay on the cold ground, knowing she'd been cut, and that she was likely lying in a pile of glass. She was out of danger from the fire, but still wasn't safe. It had to be less than twenty degrees, and her flannel pajamas and wool socks wouldn't protect her from the menacing cold for long. She took a deep breath, but the effort hurt. Her hip felt like it was on fire. She lifted her head and saw the blood oozing through her pajamas. She knew she should be moving away from the house and finding shelter, or calling for help. But every move shot pain to her hip and forced tiny shards of glass into her body. She dropped her head back. She was so tired. It was so painful to move, to breathe. If she rested just for a moment, she'd gather the strength she needed to save herself. She closed her eyes and let the darkness come. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Tales from the Heart. I hope you enjoyed it and that you will be back to find out what happens next. Will Tess survive? To make sure you don't miss any episodes, hit the subscribe button to be notified when new episodes are posted. And don't forget that you can get the ebook of Deadly Valentine for free through my website at jennahart.com. Thank you again for listening. And until next time, this is Jenna Hart wishing you peace, love, and happily ever after.